Hello, once again, and welcome back to PH5, everyone's favorite music roundup podcast hosted by Phil May. Um, for those of you who listened last week, wow, that's cool, thank you. Um, a few new things this week, which I'm super excited to introduce. Uh, first of all, you've already heard it. But we now have a uh, theme song, or a jingle, or uh, if you're really cool, you can call it an audio logo. Um, yeah, again, like I mentioned in the first episode, I, I don't really listen to many podcasts. Again, want to clarify, once again, not a flex, it's stupid of me to make a podcast not listening to any. So it's just my own stupid ignorance. Um... But some of the feedback that I got was that people want to hear a little, you know, like a theme song or or whatever. So I I cooked that one up. Um, I have nothing more to say about it. I hope you like it. Let me know what you think. Uh, Secondly, I'm going to be introducing a new segment to kind of split up the list called Dimensions, okay? Uh, I don't want to call them the Honorable Mentions because some of them are not honorable at all. Uh, We're going to be going over the Honorable Mention, which is an album that just didn't quite make the cut. We're going to be going over the Mention, which is kind of a free-for-all category where I'm just going to talk about an album that maybe intrigued me, but didn't necessarily leave an impression on me. And then we're going to talk about the Dishonorable Mention, where I will talk about an album that I thought sucked. And maybe I was expecting it not to, and it did. Or whatever the case may be, it'll change week to week for sure. So, first of all, how's everyone doing today? I know you can't answer me. Um, but just maybe reply to yourself at home or wherever you're listening to, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I hope everyone's doing great. I'm um, pretty wired off coffee right now. I had a final exam earlier this afternoon, and uh, I loaded myself up on caffeine to make sure I was ready to go for that. And now I find myself in this instance where I have all of this caffeinated energy coursing through my veins, and I have nowhere to put it. So guess what? You guys get to be the lucky recipient of all of my nervous anxious, sweaty energy this Monday? Is it Monday? Monday afternoon. February. That's the month that just happened. Um, I think we can all agree that February fucking blows. There's not much really going on in February to make it in any way interesting. In the middle of a pandemic, it only got worse. Um, But it's over now. We don't need to talk too much more about that. I hope you guys are all safe. I hope everyone's okay. Why don't we talk about some music? Yeah? That's what you guys came here for. That's what I spent the past five minutes setting up my room in this hobbled makeshift studio to do. So let's do it. PH5. Week two. Month, week, month two. I warned you. I am just buzzing hard right now. So, you know what? Maybe it's kind of like bringing a new mood to each episode. Uh, I'm also thinking of adding titles to the episodes. Kind of a uh, thematic tie. A thematic uh, string to tie everything together. So, let's see. Uh, I was thinking of calling... Today's episode, Familiarity. Kind of sounds like February, too. Kind of. So we're going to go with it. So, welcome to PH5, episode 2, February 2021. Familiarity. Let's get started. First of all, 
as you know here, we like to start at the bottom and work our way to the top. Um, I'm not going to do a that's what she said joke, but uh, I thought about it. So, we're going to start with number five today. So number five on PH5, February 2021, familiarity episode. The number five album is Slow Ties, Tyron. Slow Tie. Um, curious little fella, British and a rapper of uh, mixed backgrounds. His first album came out a few years ago. Uh, it was called Nothing Great About Britain. You're telling me, man. Uh, terrible food, weather, and teeth. Uh, the, the record got quite a bit of acclaim. It established him as a really unique kind of grime-adjacent rapper uh, that was really into dissecting the political woes of Britain and the UK en masse. Pretty great record. Um, but the thing about it is we didn't learn too much about the actual man himself. And I think this is something that he wanted to address with this album because it is in large part very autobiographical. Uh, it's also the first album that he's put out since a scandal. I think it was last year or the year before. Uh, he was hosting an awards show with someone and uh, he was hosting it alongside a female host. I think he was drunk or something like that and he made some inappropriate sexual remarks towards the host. Uh, not cool. Him and the host later made up. Everything was fine. Still kind of a sketchy sus move from a dude who is still trying to establish himself on the scene. And this album definitely touches upon what we'll call it the fallout from that scandal. You can see it in one of the leading singles from the album. It's called Cancelled, featuring Skepta. Uh, I, <laughs> personally, there's nothing in the world that appeals to me less than the thought of a, a hard-hitting hip-hop track about cancel culture being bullshit. Like, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> like, who is your target audience for that? And are you sure that's who you want your audience to be? Anyway, this kind of ties into a larger problem that I had with the record. Uh, the album itself is split up into two halves, the first half being a really kind of energetic, grimy, um, feisty, we'll call it, type of music. Uh, I don't like it at all, if I'm being honest with you. I, I, I just don't really care for it. I find it kind of obnoxious and bratty in a way that isn't appealing. Um, he, he was really successful in honing and delivering that kind of bratty, punky rap on his first record. But it just kind of feels old at this point on Tyron. However, the second half of the album, he switches pace entirely and aims for a more kind of introspective side of his music. And I love this half. In fact, it's I love it so much that to me, it completely saves the album. Uh, do you think this record would be anywhere close to touching the coveted PH5 spot, if not for the second half? Absolutely not. Um, but it's such a strong collection of songs that it makes it. It's it's a new side to him. We, we haven't seen much of that before, and as I mentioned, this is where he starts to get a lot more introspective, talking about his life and... Uh, growing up, his insecurities and whatnot, and it's special. It's not really a side of Slow Tie you'd ever expect to hear, knowing what he's been involved with with his first album and kind of that like punk rap supergroup that he was flirting with with Denzel Curry and whoever, uh, I don't know. Other guys were in it, I think. But it, it really works for him. He doesn't really... It still has that signature kind of bratty sound, 
but he's, he's turning it inward and he's really trying to learn about himself more through this music. Um, in fact, it's so good that there's a song featuring James Blake and I don't hate it. Uh, James Blake has come kind of a sore spot for me over the years. I love this guy when he first came on the scene with his EPs and his self-titled debut back in the day. But man, he's got, he just sucks now. Like, it's its terrible music. Assume Form, his, his last record from uh, pre-pandemic, I, it was unlistenable if you ask me, it just sucked. And so that's why I gotta give it to Slow Tie here because he's, uh, he's made a track with James Blake that I don't think is the worst shit I've ever heard in my life. Um, now that being said, uh, the song's called Feel Away, by the way, produced by Mount Kimby. So Mount Kimby's production really saves the song a lot. Um, we don't hear much James Blake until kind of the second half of the song. And honestly, even when he does come in, he's <laughs> he still sounds like that annoying-ass uppity British motherfucker that I've come to really despise over the years. Um, but you know what? It's still a great track. So... Shouts out to him. There's also a song with uh, Dominic Fike and Denzel Curry. Uh, Dominic Fike being one of these just obviously major label plants has been super hyped online that I think is just terrible. Uh, but that's another great song too. Uh, I want to talk about NHS though. That's my new favorite song by Slow Tie. It's fantastic. Uh, the chorus is this kind of looped, pitched up. Sounds like a nursery rhyme, almost. Um, the song talks about British healthcare system and all of the woes that that's been going through, what with COVID and whatnot. And it just works really well for him. I hope that this is something that he continues to pursue, songs like this. And... The last song on the album, too, I think is really special. It's called ADHD. Oh, it's like hardly even a song. It's got this kind of warbly beat. It goes through a bunch of different sections. There's a... There's a cutaway of uh, him leaving a drunken voicemail for someone, and he comes back in all pissed off and angry. But just the vibe and the mood of the song, especially as a means to end the album, I find is really special. And... Uh, really puts you in a, a somber, introspective sort of mood after you listen to it. It would almost make you want to go back and listen to the whole album again, except the first half is really bad, so you're never going to do that. That's just me, though, you know? I'm sure there are people out there that like the kind of music that he's making on the first half. Um, I don't, so, sorry. Anyway. Number five, I mean, let's be real. Number five is the second half of Slow Tie's Tyrant. Number four is an interesting band that I had never heard before up until I think the day that the album was released. Uh, the band is called For Your Health. The album is called In Spite Of. And I even remember... I was trying to share some of the music with my friends the day that the album came out, because I was really into it. I had uh, downloaded it onto my phone. And I went onto YouTube to just copy and paste a track link to send to some of my friends. And at the time, the songs had like three or four views. Uh, that's definitely changed because a number of publications have started to talk about them and hype them up, uh, especially this one right here, PH5. Uh, for your health, you're welcome, by the way. And it's no surprise that they've been starting to get the hype that they have because they're making some pretty essential music right now. They make a... Oh, how would I even describe this? They make a kind of very mid-2000s-esque, post-hardcore, screamo-type music that sounds 
basically exactly like the kind of stuff that was really popular when I was a teenager. Um, I'm talking about that kind of all over the place, super high energy kind of spaz core that we saw in bands like uh, Fear Before the March of Flames, uh, Number 12 Looks Like You. In fact, this album reminds me a lot of a Number 12 record. And it has this kind of youthful energy to it that I haven't really felt in a record in a while. They're kind of... I mean, I guess I should have called this episode the bratty episode because they, they kind of have some snotty, bratty parts where I, I can't even describe what it's like. But you would know it if you knew it. Um, just like obnoxious melodies and, 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 you know, almost cringy guitar leads. But they really make it work. And it is really reminiscent of, you know, being 14, 15 year old. And, you know, well, like, what I used to do is, I, uh, here's a fun little anecdote, so, my parents were supposed to buy me a car, they had an account full of money for my car, and at some point, I got onto online banking when I was, like, 14 or 15, and for whatever reason, my online bank account was connected to this savings account that they had for me to buy a car when I was finished school. I had no idea where this money came from. I didn't know what it was. And me being a complete idiot teenager, I figured, oh, this money's mine anyway. I, I can just kind of use it. So I would slowly transfer money out of that savings account into my checkings account. And with this random well of strange, mysterious money. I would go online and, and go down the deep rabbit holes of different record labels and just order the most obscure CDs imaginable uh, to my local HMV. And anyway, the point being, this album reminds me a lot of some of those records that I used to listen to when I was a kid. And uh, just brings back that joy of discovery of like, how many people really have heard this album other than me, you know? Um, obviously, that's not the case anymore. What with streaming and uh, music publications and blogs hyping this album up, I'm sure tens of thousands of people have heard this record at this point. But I just remember the first few times listening to it, seeing that low view count on YouTube being like, this feels special to me. This feels like something that I have and no one else does. And I'm gonna touch on that a little bit later with another record on the list, but it's a special feeling and it's really hard to come by these days well, with how easily accessible everything is. Um, the album itself, it's only 17 minutes long, which is wild because it, it doesn't feel like that. There are so many ideas crammed into this thing. It, 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 it's almost an entire discography of some other bands would come up with this many ideas and they managed to squeeze them all into 17 minutes. Um, the record sequenced in such a way that all the songs kind of bleed into each other. So it definitely is something you need to listen to right through in one go. Because a lot of the songs play off of each other and in order to really grasp what they're trying to do, you need to just put it on and enjoy the ride for the entire 17 minutes. And when you're done, honestly, you're probably going to put it right back on again. Because again, it's short and sweet and chock full of post-hardcore goodies. So that's number four. For your health, in spite of. This is the part of the episode where I'm going to get into the mentions, as I call them. Just to split it up a little bit, you know, do a little something different, right? Have a little bit of fun with it, you know? So the mentions, as I mentioned, the mentions, as I mentioned, oh, it's uh, serendipitous. 
That's the kind of stuff, uh, that's studio magic there. You know, you can't plan for that. The mentions are a few records that didn't quite make the cut, but still have something about them that I want to talk about. So I'll start off with the honorable mention, and that is going to be a record called Valde. I don't know if that's correct. Uh, Vald. There's an accent in there somewhere. Um, and it's by a band called Humanity's Last Breath. <clears throat> and they make Deathcore, which is probably one of the most maligned subgenres in all of music. Uh, this is another genre that was really popular kind of in the era I was discussing with the, the last record, mid-2000s. Bands like uh, Despise Icon, Job for a Cowboy, just really dissonant, heavy chugs, breakdowns, next to no melody, and the reason the genre kind of got viewed as a joke was because people thought there's no real artistry to the songs because all you really need to do to make a deathcore song is to write a breakdown and I mean how hard is it to write a breakdown right I just basically made an entire deathcore album right there um but what's interesting about this band is they they somehow managed to turn deathcore into an art form uh the songs, yeah, do feature a lot of your classic deathcore elements of breakdowns and chugs and, like, screams. <laughs> you know, screams, classic element of deathcore. Um, but they introduce a lot of electronics and symphonic sections and really doomy parts. And I don't know, all... It's just an interesting album. It makes the subgenre interesting to me. Uh, not interesting enough to put it on the list, but it's certainly, I'd say, probably my favorite deathcore album that I've ever heard. So shout out to them. Again, that's almost kind of like saying, hmm, this is my favorite moldy piece of, peach peach favorite moldy piece of shit sandwich that I've ever eaten. Um, but hey, I mean, it's still a favorite, right? So you got to give it props for that. So that's Humanity's Last Breath with Valde? 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 Who knows? Who cares? And that is in at the honorable mention. The mention, which is more neutral, you know? It's not honorable. It's not dishonorable. It's just like, oh, this is the thing. Um is the album by a band called Black Country New Road. The album is called For the First Time, I think. I really, I should really just get my facts straight for this, eh? If I actually want to be taken seriously. Oh well, um, anyway, the album's cool. It's, uh, apparently they're friends with Black Midi. Sounds a lot like them, in that it sounds like music where anything could happen. Uh, Sky's the limit with this band. They will just do whatever they want. Um, I described it to one of my friends as kind of a, a jazzier slint, but I mean, that only describes maybe one or two of the songs. There's like a, <laughs> like a freaking fanfare intro song that has some like funny flutes and shit. Uh, Anyway, the, the band is interesting to me, and the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I don't really think the album is great. It's good, it's not great, but I think that this is a band to keep an eye on, because if they can refine their sound and really nail what it is that they're trying to do, these guys could really be huge in a few years, because they have the creative energy, they've got the chops, so all they've got to do is kind of get their songwriting together, and I think they'll knock it out of the park. So keep an eye on these guys. That's Black Country New Road with For the First Time, I think. The Dishonorable Mention. So this is an album that 
was disappointing. And that's kind of the template I'm setting for the Dishonorable Mention moving forward. The album is by Django Django. It's called Glowing in the Dark. Now, this is a band that, geez, the past decade, if not more, I've been absolutely in love with. Uh, they're from Britain or whatever, England. And they make a brand of kind of like one button undone indie pop. That's, you know, fun to dance along with and, you know, lots of hooks. But I was really interested coming into this album because they've released three records before this one, and they're all great, but they all kind of sound the same. They haven't really taken their sounds to any new places or new extremes, and their last album, Marble Skies, was arguably my favorite, and I think it just refined their sound and was the collection of the best songs they can make of the sound. So. Moving into this next album, it was clear that they couldn't be stagnant anymore, and they needed to do something different. Um, and they didn't. So, whether it's trying to listen to these breezy, fun, indie pop songs in light of a now-going-on-year-long global pandemic, or just a, a sound that's growing stale after over a decade of kind of mining the same materials over and over again. It just didn't land for me, which is really too bad because these guys have been a staple for me over the past decade, as I mentioned. So I'm not gonna lose hope. Uh, they're a great band. I'm sure they can get it together in the next record, do something a little bit different, something more exciting. But for now, the dishonorable mention is going to Django Django's Glowing in the Dark. We're going to go back to our list now, and if uh, my counting serves me, I believe we're now on number three. So number three of this month's edition of PH5 is going to Carnage by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. A um, few things of noteworthy mention to start us off. This is not in Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album. Interesting, because Nick Cave and Warren Ellis are both in the Bad Seeds, and they're both the primary songwriters of the Bad Seeds, but this isn't a Bad Seeds record. So what does that mean? Uh, I've been thinking about that, and I think this is an attempt to step away from what the Bad Seeds have been doing over the past decade or so. So, for those of you that don't know, uh, Nick Cave's son, a few years ago, I guess it would have been back in 2014, maybe? 2014 or 15. His teenage son died, uh, fell off a cliff. And the past two... Bad Seeds records, the death of his son has loomed over them like a, like a, you know, shadow of death, if you will. And the music has just been stunningly heartbreaking. Uh, with Skeleton Tree, the album released, I think it was maybe less than a year after his son's death. Um, all the songs were already written for the record before they went in and actually recorded in the studio, but you could feel the specter of his son's death hanging over every song, and it's rough to listen to, honestly. Um, incredible. So emotional, some of the most emotional music I've ever heard, but you can't really go back to it that much because it's draining. And the record that came out after that by The Bad Seeds... Uh, Ghost Teen, which I think was out last year, or the year before, one of the two. I think that was the first record that he put out that was ostensibly about 
his son's death. I mean, the title of the album is Ghost Teen, so there you go. And, again, another achingly beautiful album, but that one was even harder to listen to than Skeleton Tree. And a large part of that was the subject matter. Uh, Nick Cave kind of dealing with fantastical metaphors for dealing with the death of his son. But it was also the tone of the album itself. The album kind of existed in a state of suspended animation. Um, the songs just kind of hung in the air without any real momentum and Nick Cave just kind of drifted through them with his incredibly solemn lyrics. And it was a double album as well, so it was, it was pretty oppressive stuff. Very hard to listen to. It's a long listen, very dreary listen, and you kind of feel like you're stuck in some lacquer when you're listening to it, because you're just kind of floating around in oblivion, listening to these airy synths, and, and there's no beat or anywhere, and you don't know how far into the album you are, you don't know what song you're on, everything's just kind of flowing together. And again, I, 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 I want to stress, it's a great album, but I think I maybe listened to it like twice. And after that, I, I just can't do it. You know, life's hard enough without wallowing in the death of a teenage boy. So after a listen or two, I'm like, okay, I, I, I get it. I've, I've had about enough. I can't do this. Carnage is different. It, it feels like the first album Nick Cave has released since the death of his son that isn't really about that anymore. Um, it's still very sad, but it deals with a more communal sadness, uh, the societal sadness, rather than his own personal sadness. Uh, this is another album that feels very much split into two halves, and the first half of the album is markedly different than Ghost Teen or Skeleton Tree. Uh, there's percussion. There are some grooves that the band actually settles into. And it it feels like a, a breath of fresh air for Nick Cave. Cause, and it, 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 there's songs I actually want to go back and listen to again. Um, for example, the fourth track in the album, White Elephant, I'd say is probably one of the best songs he's ever written. Um, it's about white supremacy and the protests that happened last year and are, I mean, realistically still happening, even if we're not on the streets. We're always protesting racial injustice. And it's just a fantastic track. The imagery that he uses in his lyrics, it's very tuneful and melodic. Uh, if you've listened to Nick Cave of late, you know that he kind of talks sings, but these songs have melody to them. Uh, opener, Hand of God, has this really weird background vocal element that's kind of unlike anything I've heard him do lately. So there's a lot of cool things going on in the first half of this album. The second half kind of falls a little bit flat. It's more of a return to the uh, more ambient soundscapes of Ghosting. Which, again, are, are fine, but almost like I feel like he gave us a taste of this new direction with the first half of the album, and it tasted good. You know, I, I want to taste that. I want more. But anyway, it's still a great album on the whole, and really makes me excited for what Nick Cave is going to do next. He appears to be... Uh, not slowing down in any way despite you know he's getting up there he's got to be in his 50s or 60s getting another instance where i probably should have done my homework uh but he still has tons of creative energy and his relationship with warren ellis is seemingly better than ever so i'm really excited to see what happens next with nick cave 
And hey, maybe the bad seeds are over. Or maybe this is just a stopgap for him while he reevaluates what exactly the bad seeds are and what their future holds in store. But either way, uh, this album is an indication that we should be excited for anything that he's going to put out. Uh, Nick Cave is still the GOAT. So, number three album on today's list, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, Carnage. All right. Number two record is a very special album that I discovered a few weeks ago. The record is by a woman named Sarah Marie Chadwick, and the album is called Me and NUI Are Friends, Baby. Um, don't ask about the terrible grammar of the title. She's Australian. Uh, I can't account for what the hell is going on down there. Maybe terrible grammar is just par for the course in Australia. But we can move on from that. This is... <laughs> it's funny, because I talked about how difficult it was at times to listen to some of those other Nick Cave records. Uh, this is a pretty devastating album as well. Uh, my Girl's Going Through It is basically a good summary of what's going on with Sarah Marie Chadwick and this album. Uh... Armed with just her voice and a piano, these are 12 songs that go deep into her relationship misfires, her sexual grievances, her depression, dissatisfaction with life, and it's just some of the most personal, unflinching lyricism I've ever heard. Reminds me a lot of a Fabulous Muscles era shoo-shoo where Jamie Stewart just really laid it all out on the line for everyone to hear. Um, the things that she says in this album and what she gets into, uh, I, I don't think I've heard this perspective before, maybe ever. And that might just be my own musical ignorance, having not listened to as many female songwriters growing up as I probably should have. But... This really is unique and not like anything else that I've ever heard. I'm not really a lyrics guy. <clears throat> I don't really care too much about lyrics. Like, I'm more interested in the sonic qualities of a song and, you know, all that nerdy shit. But this is an album that has lyrics that stuck with me. Stuck with me enough that I wrote some of them down. So I'm going to read to you some of my favorite lyrics from this album because... I think it'll help you get a sense of just how deep and unflinchingly personal this album can be. First set of lyrics, here we go. Maybe I should chill out and blaming my parents. Forgivable at 25, but it's not cute at 37. I mean, geez, <laughs> can relate to that one. Uh, here's another one. I know I feel bad, but the feelings of costume I wear. I mean... That, that that hits home for me because I'm sure we've all felt like sadness is in some ways something that we put on in order to gain affection or attention from other people. You know, as kind of brutal as that is to say, I, I, I feel like we all do that sometimes. And then lastly, you drag my clothes off, I give you head parked at the lights, I tell a select few dozen friends, hear it from your wife. So again, just a unflinching view of her sexual exploits and how they've kind of come back around to bite her in the ass. Uh, that's a large portion of the subject matter of these songs. Um, toxic relationships with men. She also talks about her suicide attempt in the song, uh, the title track, and it, it all hits very hard. 
It's a... Uh, it would be a much more difficult album to listen to if not for the quality of the songwriting. It's just her and her piano. Um, I mean, she's not even honestly not that great of a singer, but the, the stark quality of her lyrics and the melodies in the songs are just so good that even if it hurts to hear, you kind of want to hear it anyway. Um, lots of replay value on this one as you kind of pick apart all of her lyrics and try to piece together this life that she's been through. And every song, even though it's just her and her piano, has its own unique quality to it that just makes you come back for more and more. So that's the number two album this week. It's Sarah Marie Chadwick with Mean and You Are Friends Baby. Which brings us to our number one record. And I'm excited to talk about this. I've, I've got some notes written down, but I have no idea really what I want to say about this album. The album is by a band called Ad Nauseum, and the album itself is called Imperative Imperceptible Impulse. Uh, <laughs> the first note that I've got written down for this is baffling and that sums it up, honestly. I don't think I've ever heard a record that has fucked with my head as much as this one. Uh, they're ostensibly a death metal band, but from the second this record stop starts to the second it stops, you've never really heard anything quite like this before. Um, they ought to add it, just keeping up with the impulse, sorry keeping up with the trend of the title, they ought to add impenetrable because this is some of the most challenging music that I've ever heard in my life. Every second is filled with angular riffs that are completely unpredictable and drumming, the, the drumming on this album is just fucking bonkers. It's completely insane. Not a single bar goes by that isn't filled with some polyrhythm or off-kilter rhythmic arrangement. It's just, the technicality of this album is, 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 is unlike anything I've ever heard. It, and I don't really understand how they made it. You listen to this and it's like, is, is this even music? Like, how did they write these songs? There's just so much happening at any given time. The songs themselves are on average 10 minutes long each. And there's just so much going on in every single minute. It's just, again, it's baffling to wrap your head around how this music was made. Um, to add to that, a lot of the hardware that they use in the actual recording of this album, which they recorded themselves entirely, by the way, produced and recorded themselves. Apparently it's hardware that they made from scratch, which makes it even more difficult to figure out what it is exactly that you're listening to, because you literally have no idea what the origin of any of these sounds are. Like, sure, okay, yeah, that's guitar. Yeah, that's a drum. I, I think that's a bass. And, and the other sounds that are happening, who knows? Again, the fact that a lot of these instruments and what you're hearing, they kind of just made themselves, your brain can't make that connection. So it's just completely foreign and alien. And it's so cool. Like, I can't remember the last time I listened to something that I just didn't understand to the level that I don't understand this record. I've listened to it probably five or six times now, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean, it's an hour of pure chaotic madness. So don't get me wrong. It's a blast to listen to, and I love listening to it. Um, it's kind of like the musical version of a puzzle 
because you just want to keep going back to it because you want to figure it out. Uh, but they really, they give you nothing to work with. Um, speaking of musical versions of the, the best kind of analog I can think of to describe this album in terms of something else's, um, you know those pictures online? They're in like memes and whatever. And they're pictures, they're just like pictures of, of something. And the caption or whatever will say, you know, I dare you or I'll bet you 10 bucks you can't pick out anything in this photo. And you see a photo and it's just all this stuff. And no matter how much you look at it, your brain can't pick out any one object or any one thing that's in the photo. It's just all these completely foreign alien objects that are unlike anything that your brain can relate to. Um, those are actually images created by artificial intelligence um, and different softwares to be purposefully unidentifiable. So they're made by computer programs for you to not understand anything that's an image. This album reminds me a lot of that. Uh, your brain will try to pick up on riffs or, or, or melodic patterns or anything. And sometimes you think you'll got, you have something. Sometimes you think, oh, I get it. I see what they're doing here. And you feel like you know what's gonna come next. You don't though. You have no idea what's gonna come next. And the whole album is like that. So this is probably something I'm gonna listen to a hundred times this year because I think part of the joy of listening to music and part of what liking music and, and liking a song is you're discovering it and you figured it out, you know? And that's why you like listening to it because you have that reward system of I figured out the pattern of the song, you know, I know the chorus comes next, you know, I, I know how this melody is going to go, I know how this hook works or whatever. Um, but you'll just never get that satisfaction with this record. But I'm certainly going to continue trying. Maybe for the rest of my life. Um, I wanted to mention something else about this record that I thought was pretty interesting and unique. So, it's not on streaming. Uh, in fact, the only reason I came across this album was one of my favorite punk blogs, punk and metal blogs. Uh, someone wrote a review of it, and it was just a absolutely astounding review, just gushing about this record and how amazing it was and how it was a masterpiece and whatnot. So I go on to Apple Music, which is what I use, and lo and behold, it's not on there. But the way that this record, sorry, the way that this review was written, it was just so intriguing. They really, really made me wonder what was going on with this record. So I went to Ad Nauseum's Bandcamp, and you can only listen to one song on the Bandcamp um, unless you buy the album. So I did. I just had to know. I had to hear this album. I had to know what all the hype was about. And I mean, jeez. Best uh, 10 bucks I ever spent easily. Because uh, it is a fantastic record. But it just got me thinking about the way that we consume music. And questioning whether or not accessibility is really that good of a thing. Um, you know, in this day and age, everyone can just put their music online and Literally anyone in the world can download it off of Apple Music or Spotify or whatever they use, or they can go into YouTube and listen to it. And, you know, it's really taken the value away from music itself. But the fact that I couldn't... The only way I could listen to this album is if I bought it. It really harkens back to, again, an era that I was speaking about before of having to buy these obscure CDs to listen to them because they don't exist in any other form anywhere. 
and it really added a lot of value to the music that I was listening to. Because I paid for it, it feels more like mine, and I feel like I want to give it that extra little bit of attention and effort to decipher and understand because I've attached value to it by actually paying for it. So, is this the future? No, probably not. But it's something I think artists should consider. Maybe, maybe you don't want to have your music up everywhere to be easily downloaded by everyone in the world. Because at that point, it just becomes more content for people to consume. And if they're forced to actually spend their money, money that is hard to get in this day and age, that's for sure, they're going to put more time and effort and attention and appreciation towards your music. So, I don't know. Something to consider. Anyway, number one record, Ad Nauseum, Imperative, Imperceptible, Impulse. So just to go over it one last time for everybody, the five for this month, number five, Slow Tie, Tyron, kind of like grime hip hop. Number four, what was number four? Uh, number four was For Your Health, In Spite Of. Again, kind of like a post-hardcore, screamo, spazzy, whatever. Number three was Nick Cave and Warren Ellis with Carnage. Couldn't apply a genre to this if I tried. Let's go with singer-songwriter, because, I don't know. Um, number two, Sarah Marie Chadwick with Me and NUI Are Friends Baby. Singer-songwriter. And last but not least, Ad Nauseum, Imperative, Imperceptible, Impulse. Uh... Let's call it Baffle Core, because I got nothing else to describe this shit. Thank you so much for listening. What records do you guys like? I want to hear from you. I want to make this more of an open discussion. Uh, I hear that's how you can increase listenership. So I'm going to try that out. Let me know some records that you liked this past month. I'm always on the hunt for new and exciting stuff. And... You know, I'm lonely. I just want to to talk to you guys. I'm so sick of this COVID bullshit, man. Thank you so much for listening. PH5. Phil May out.